0: We now come to Prime Minister's questions, and I am first of all going to call on. Ray Man- Good morning, Prime Minister.
1: Ray Manchester.
0: Number one, please, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister.
1: Mr. Speaker, today on Holocaust Memorial Day, I know that the whole House will want to join me in solemnly remembering the six million Jewish men, women, and children murdered during the Holocaust and all other victims of Nazi persecution. Last week I had the privilege of hearing from Holocaust survivor Rene Salt and Ian Forsyth, one of the last living British servicemen who liberated the camp at Bergen-Belsen. Their courage to share their testimonies must inspire us all never to forget the Holocaust and to fight against all forms of hatred and prejudice wherever they are found. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
0: Yeah. We now have a virtual leader of the Opposition. Oh, sorry. Thank
2: you, thank you, thank you, Mr Speaker. I associate myself entirely with all that the Prime Minister has said. Can I thank the Prime Minister and the Government for all their hard work in these difficult and challenging times with regard to the delivery of the COVID-19 vaccination? However... My constituents in Gillingham and
3: Rainham and the wider Medway towns would like me, as their Member of Parliament, to raise their real concerns
2: with regards to the availability of the vaccine in our local towns. We have constituents who are in their 80s, in their 90s, who have not yet had the vaccination. And Medway
3: was one of the hardest hit areas in the country and a mutant variant was discovered in Kent. And North
2: Kent has some of the highest health inequalities in the country. Can the Prime Minister please ensure that we have the mass vaccination centre in Medway?
1: Uh, Mr Speaker I, I share my honourable friend's uh, sense of uh, frustration about the, the pace of the vaccine rollout in, in spite of the fact that we have the fastest rollout anywhere in uh, Europe it is entirely right that a constituency uh, MP should want to see uh, more done as fast as possible. I can tell him uh, that we've uh, vaccinated uh, more than 80 percent of those over 80 across the of uh, the country, and uh, in, it, we are looking certainly at a large-scale vaccination centre uh, near him, and in his immediate vicinity, uh, we have done 127,000 uh, vaccines already, Mr Speaker, providing the hope of long-term immunity uh, for the people of Medway and, and Gilliam and Raylan. So
0: we head over to a virtual leader of the opposition, right honourable Starmer. Kier Starmer. Uh,
2: thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, can I begin by joining the Prime Minister in his remarks about Holocaust Memorial Day. uh, This evening, I'll be joining the UK ceremony and lighting a candle to remember the six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust, uh, along, of course, with the other genocides and persecutions that have taken place around the world. Mr Speaker, yesterday we passed the tragic milestone of 100,000 COVID deaths in the United Kingdom. That's not just a statistic. Behind every death is a Grieving family, a mum, a dad, a sister, a brother, a friend, a colleague, a neighbour. The question on everyone's lips this morning is why? The Prime Minister must have thought about that question a lot. So can he tell us why he thinks that the United Kingdom has ended up with a death toll of 100,000, the highest number in Europe. Prime Minister.
1: Mr Speaker, uh, like the right honourable gentleman, I mourn every death in this pandemic and we share the grief of all those who have been bereaved, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, let him be in no doubt, and let there House be no doubt, that I and the government take full responsibility for all the actions I have taken, we've taken uh, during this Uh, pandemic to fight this disease and yes Mr Speaker there will indeed be a time when we must learn the lessons of of what has happened reflect on them and prepare Mr Speaker I don't think that moment is now when we are in the throes of fighting this wave of the new variant when 37,000 people are struggling with Covid in our hospitals and I think what uh, the country wants is for us to come together as a parliament and as a as, uh, as politicians, and to work to keep the virus under control, Mr Speaker, as we are, and to continue to roll out the fastest vaccination programme in Europe. I think that is where the minds of the public are fixed. Turning to Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer.
2: Thank you, Mr Speaker. I, I, I'm sure the Prime Minister regrets the fact that 100,000 people have lost their lives. The question is why? Why has the United Kingdom the highest number of deaths in Europe? Why has the United Kingdom a death rate that's higher than almost anywhere in the world? The Prime Minister is going to have to answer that question one day. And he should have the decency to answer it today. A few days ago, the chief scientific officer said, and this was his view, prepared to give it now. The lesson, he said, is you've got to go hard, early and broad if you're going to get on top of this. Waiting and watching simply doesn't work. Does the Prime Minister agree with that?
1: Mr Speaker, when you have a new virus, and indeed when you have a new variant of that virus of the kind that we have in this uh, this country, uh, when you have uh, dilemmas as hard... Uh, and as heavy as this government has had to face over the last year, I must tell the Right Honourable Gentleman there are no easy answers. A perpetual lockdown is no answer, Mr Speaker, Uh, but we will continue to do as I've said to the house i said to you mr speaker to do everything we can to roll out our vaccine program uh, to give the public the protection that they want and deserve and uh, as i as i speak to you today mr speaker 6.9 million people in our country have had the uh, the vaccine uh, we're in, on target uh, if we can get the supplies uh, to deliver the uh, the uh, target of uh, the jcvi 1 to 4 the most vulnerable groups by the 15th of February, and I hope uh, very much to be in the next uh, few weeks, Mr Speaker, to be setting out uh, in much more detail how this country can exit now from the pandemic.
2: Mr Speaker, the problem with the Prime Minister avoiding the question of why is that vital lessons won't be learned. The reality is this. The Prime Minister was slow into the first lockdown last March. He was slow in getting protective equipment to the front line. Slow to protect our care homes. Slow on testing and tracing. Slow into the second lockdown in the autumn. Slow to change the Christmas mixing rules. Slow again into this third lockdown, delaying 13 days from the 22nd of December before implementing it. And I fear that he still hasn't learned that lesson. The latest example is the continued delay in securing our borders. We've known about the variants to the virus since early December when it was announced in the House of Commons. We know some of those variants are coming from abroad, but we don't know the route. Surely the Prime Minister can see that what is required now is that Everybody coming into the country, from anywhere in the world, should be tested and subject to quarantine in a hotel. Why can't that be put in place today?
1: Mr Speaker, throughout this pandemic, it's been the habit of the opposition uh, first to uh, support one approach and then to attack it and to, uh, to twist and, and to turn. It was only uh, recently that the Shadow Transport me- me- Secretary was saying that quarantine measures should be relaxed, uh, Mr Speaker. We have one of the toughest regimes uh, in the world. Uh, we test, uh, ask people to test 72 hours uh, before they fly. They have to produce a passenger locator form, or otherwise they're kicked off the, the flight. Uh, they already have to quarantine for 10 days. And My right hon. Friend, uh, the Home Secretary, will uh, be setting out later today if you uh, care to uh, wait for that, uh, even tougher measures for those red-list countries uh, where we are particularly concerned about, uh, about new variants. And again, I think what the people of this country want for us now to do is to come together as a government, as a parliament, and to get this thing done. Mr
2: Speaker, the Prime Minister complains about the opposition, but the greatest criticism of the Prime Minister at the moment in relation to borders is coming from his own Home Secretary. She's busy telling anyone who will listen that the Prime Minister didn't do enough in relation to the borders last year. And I fear that the Prime Minister is repeating the same mistake in relation to the new variants of the virus. Mr Speaker, let me turn to schools. Everybody agrees that reopening our schools should be a national priority. But that requires a plan. And the Prime Minister hasn't got a plan. So as a first step, a first step, does he agree with me that once the first four categories of the most vulnerable have been vaccinated by mid-February, he should bring forward the vaccination of key workers and use the window of the February half-term to vaccinate all teachers and all school staff?
1: Uh, Mr Speaker, of course... Uh, it follows that all teachers in uh, JCVI groups 1 to 9 uh, will be vaccinated as a matter of, of priority. And I, I, I pay tribute, by the way, uh, to what uh, uh, the huge efforts that are. Uh, uh, parents uh, are making across the country struggling uh, to educate their kids. I know how deeply frustrating it is the extra burden that we've placed on families by, by closing the schools. And no one has worked harder than my honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Education, uh, to keep schools open. We all want to open schools, uh, Mr. Speaker. I think what we want to hear from uh, the Leader of the Opposition is that uh, he will say loudly and clearly what he's refused to say so many times. Mr Speaker, and what the public need to hear is that schools are safe. It's absolutely critical that he says that. I'm
2: sorry, Mr Speaker, I'm none the wiser as to whether the Prime Minister agrees with me that school teachers and school staff should be vaccinated, taking advantage of the February half-term. That's two or three weeks away. It's a fantastic opportunity, and I'm no wiser as to whether the Prime Minister thinks that's a good idea uh, or a bad idea. In the meantime, the government's got a duty to ensure that every single child can learn from home. Without access to a laptop, a computer, or the internet, that can't happen. The government was challenged on this last summer. It was challenged on it last autumn. And here we are, nearly at the end of January, the best part of a year into this pandemic, and a third of families say they don't have enough laptops or home computers. And over 400,000 children still can't get online at home. Does the Prime Minister realize how angry many families are that he still hasn't got to grips with this?
1: Mr Speaker, as I said just now, I do fully understand the frustration and impatience of families across the country uh, who are uh, educating their kids at home. And I know how difficult it is. I know how frustrated teachers are. With, uh, with home, uh, with educating remote learning as well. That's why we've provided 1.3 million laptops, Mr. Speaker. That's why uh, we've provided a £1 billion catch up fund. And I will be making a statement to the House in just a few minutes, Mr. Speaker, setting out what more we propose to do uh, with uh, the reopening of schools and the way forward uh, with schools and what more we propose to do by way of supporting pupils and teachers and parents, Mr. Speaker. If, if you will just wait a few minutes. But uh, he's missed his opportunity once again. Uh, to say what I think people need to hear if we are to get schools to reopen, because that is the best thing uh, for pupils and the best thing for families across the country. I would like to hear from the Leader of the Opposition, uh, in defiance of his union uh, paymasters, I'd like to hear that schools are safe.
0: Don't forget, I just remind the Prime Minister, his Prime Minister's questions. Kirsten,
2: Mr Speaker, every week the Prime Minister comes with his pre-prepared lines. I think when 100,000 people have died, Uh, he should take the time to answer the question. When one in three families are saying that they don't have enough laptops or computers, his answers are simply not good enough. We're nearly a year into this pandemic. This hasn't happened in the last few weeks and one in three families say they don't have the wherewithal to do home teaching and those children are going without home schooling. That's the question the Prime Minister should be answering. Mr Speaker, the UK is the first country in Europe to record 100,000 COVID deaths. We also have the deepest recession of any major economy. Our schools are closed and our borders are open. And my biggest concern is that the Prime Minister still hasn't learnt the lessons of last year. And I fear that as a result, we'll see more tragedy and more grim milestones. Now, this afternoon... I will be speaking to families who've lost loved ones to COVID. The last time I did this, I asked the Prime Minister what he would like me to say to them on his behalf. He replied with a pre-prepared childish gag. I can tell the Prime Minister just how badly that went down with those families when I spoke to them later that afternoon. So I'll ask him again, and I hope this time he'll have the decency to answer them properly. What would he like me to say to those bereaved families on his behalf this afternoon?
1: Minister. Mr. Speaker, I'm grateful to the right Honourable Gentleman for meeting the families of the bereaved, as uh, I have done, and I know members across the House have done uh, throughout the, the pandemic. And it's important that we uh, we do that. And the message I would give... Uh, those families is the same as I've given uh, everybody I've, I've met, is that I, of course, deeply uh, personally regret the loss of life, uh, the suffering of their families, uh, Mr Speaker. But I think the best thing that we can do uh, to honour the memory of those who have died and uh, to honour those who are currently grieving is to work together. Uh, to bring this virus down, to keep it under control in the way that we are. And, Mr Speaker, I, I, throughout this pandemic, uh, I'm sad to say that the uh, leader of the opposition has never failed in his efforts to try to score uh, political points when I think he could be, he could be doing just that. And he has twisted and, and he has turned. And uh, one week he calls for tougher border measures after the Shadow Transport Secretary called for uh, looser Quarantine. He calls for schools to go back. he won't even say this morning that schools are safe. He tries to associate himself now with the vaccine programme because he senses that that may be going well, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, but he stood on a manifesto to unbundle the pharmaceutical companies, the big pharma, uh, Mr Speaker, that made those vaccines possible. And he actually attacked the vaccine task force. I know you want me to sit down, Mr Speaker. I want to make this point because I tried to make it last week. And uh, you sorry. He He even attacked the vaccine task force for spending £675,000 on an effort to discover whether hard-to-reach groups would take a vaccine. And I really cannot think of a better investment right now of public funds. And I hope that later on this afternoon, the Right Honourable Gentleman may think of apologising for what he did and for that attack on the vaccine task force. Mr Speaker, they can go on, the Right Honourable Gentleman can go on making his party political points. We will go on, with or without his help, in taking this country forward, fighting the pandemic and getting coronavirus down. Yeah. Pauline Latham in Derbyshire. Pauline Latham.
4: Thank you, Mr Speaker. The importance of levelling up to constituencies like mine is critical as we look to build back better from COVID. With that in mind, can the Prime Minister commit to delivering the eastern leg of HS2 in full, creating 150,000 jobs and billions of pounds of investment in the Midlands and the North, as well as unlocking the capacity for local transport schemes in Derbyshire? In which cycling and walking, walking must pay, play a crucial part.
1: Well my honourable friend is absolutely right and uh, she's right to be militating uh, for the eastern leg of HS2. We'll be publishing the integrated rail plan uh, uh, early uh, this year and I'm delighted that the transforming cities fund uh, for Nottingham and Derby £161 million includes £10 million uh, Mr Speaker for a new cycle route between Nottingham, Derby and East Midlands Airport and I look forward to cycling it uh, with my honourable friend. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and the Chief Whip, I would expect. We now go to Scotland to Ian Blackford, leader of the SNP. Ian Blackford.
4: Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister on the Holocaust? We all remember the six million Jews who lost their life and those terrible crimes against humanity. We should never forget that, nor indeed those that have sadly followed them in genocides around the world. Mr Speaker, last night... The Prime Minister claimed we truly did everything we could to avoid the deaths of 100,000 people across the UK from COVID-19. But we all know that's simply not true. The UK government response has been defined by a lack of leadership, last-minute U-turns, mixed messaging and devastating policies. All of this has had the effect on the scale of the pandemic. Professor Linda Ball has said that nearly a quarter of all deaths that we've seen have occurred in the last month. Prime Minister... Since the start of this pandemic, you've promised to always follow the advice of scientists. Well, this morning, scientists have said that this government is responsible for a legacy of poor decisions during this pandemic. Does the Prime Minister still agree with the scientists?
1: Prime Minister? Mr Speaker, we've throughout uh, followed scientific advice and done everything we can to minimise... Uh, disease and minimise suffering throughout the country. And I think he would have heard, the you know, right hon. would have heard my answer to the leader of the opposition. There are no easy solutions, Mr. Speaker, when you're facing dilemmas as tragic as the ones being confronted by uh, countries around the world. But I think that everywhere in the UK, if I may say so, Mr Speaker, uh, can be proud of the efforts now being made by the NHS, by the army, by volunteers, by pharmacists, to roll out the fastest vaccination programme in Europe. That is something that government must do, can do, is doing and will do.
4: Attorney to Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. So, Speaker, I must respectfully say that this is not about apportioning blame for honest mistakes, but it is about learning lessons from a Prime Minister who has repeatedly ignored the scientific advice. When we called on the Prime Minister to introduce tough border controls last spring, he refused. When we told the Prime Minister it was a mistake to end lockdown prematurely and push millions of workers back to the office, he ignored us. When we said tough restrictions and full support were still needed, He dithered delayed and left it too late. People have been asked to make huge sacrifices by his government. At least they now deserve financial certainty. Tell people straight, Prime Minister. Will this UK government extend furlough, maintain the universal credit uplift and finally, finally offer support for the three million excluded? Or will he leave families struggling with the uncertainty while he dithers and delays?
1: Well, Mr Speaker, on the subject of dithering and delaying, I'm delighted that the, the British Army is helping uh, uh, the Scottish government, uh, National, national uh, Party Government to roll out the vaccine uh, faster, and I think that's extremely important and one of the benefits of the, of the Union of the, of the UK, uh, if I may say. So, And on his point, Mr Speaker, about uh, the uh, support uh, for people and families across this country, I don't think anybody could seriously deny... That this government has given absolutely unprecedented and unequalled by global standards support throughout the pandemic we will continue to put our arms around people across the whole of the uk throughout this crisis let's head to waving it with peter aldis peter aldis thank you very much mr
3: speaker the government have put in place an extensive system of support to help employers and employees through the pandemic However, a group that have been overlooked, many of whom are now really struggling, are those self-employed, who set up their own businesses after April 2019 and were unable to submit a complete tax return. 10 months on, this obstacle to providing support no longer applies. To assist them, will the Prime Minister emulate the Northern Ireland Government's newly self-employed support scheme, which is subject to straightforward criteria And guards against fraud?
1: My honourable friend is uh, right to raise the uh, the concerns that he does because there are some. People in the self employed groups that uh, uh, it has been hard to, to, to reach and to support in the way that we, uh, that we want. Uh, they are fewer in number than is sometimes suggested, uh, Mr. Speaker, in this House. Uh, and I can tell him that 2.7 million people have re- uh, self employed have received support, totalling over 18.5 billion. But the ideas that he suggests, uh, I know, uh, will be taken up by my right honourable friend, the, the Chancellor. And uh, uh, he can expect to hear more on the 3rd of March. Let's head down to Brighton with Caroline Lucas. Caroline Lucas.
4: Thank you Mr Speaker. There is a yawning gulf between the government's green rhetoric and its action. Hot on the heels of sanctioning the first deep coal mine in 30 years, ministers have broken yet another election manifesto promise and will keep sending plastic waste to developing countries where they're regularly dumped or burnt. Nine-year-old schoolgirl Lizzie knows this is wrong and she has a simple message for the Prime Minister. Protect our oceans and people living in poorer countries by banning these dirty plastic exports now. Will he listen to Lizzie and to the 90,000 signatures to her petition and stop this damaging and unethical practice? Yes or no?
1: Mr Speaker, first of all, I must absolutely uh, contest uh, and deny what what she has said about She talks about coal mines, and she may not know uh, that in in 1970, uh, when I was alive, she she may not have been alive, uh, this country got 90% of its energy from uh, from uh, from fossil fuels, from coal, and we now get 5%, uh, Mr Speaker. That's thanks to the, the green, active, uh, technologically optimistic policies driven by Conservative governments. And I'm very, very proud of that. I'm also proud of what we're doing to ban plastic and ban the export of plastic waste around the world, which is in our Conservative Party manifesto, Mr Speaker, and which we will fulfil. I yeah. said to Lincolnshire with Holly Mumbycroft. Holly Mumbycroft.
4: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituent, David Hopkins, lives with grade four glioblastoma. The pioneering immunotherapy treatment he needs is not yet available in the UK. He and his wife, Nikki, continue to fundraise for his treatment in Germany. And I know that the wonderful people of Scunthorpe have been incredibly supportive in this. Will the Prime Minister join me in wishing the Hopkins family well? And will he work with me and the Brain Tumor Charity to improve research and treatments for patients like David?
1: Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. I thank my honourable friend for what she's doing to campaign for such an excellent uh, charity and and indeed for her constituent, David. I can can tell her that uh, the uh, Department of Health is working with Tessa Giles' uh, brain cancer mission and uh, announcing £40 million over five years on uh, brain tumours of the type that she she describes. And uh, I would encourage uh, my honourable friend to continue the excellent work uh, that she is doing in this area let said to Scotland with Christine Jardine. Christine Jardine.
4: Thank you very much, Mr uh, Speaker. And can I associate myself and the Liberal Democrats with the Prime Minister's comments on the Holocaust? A year ago next week in a speech at Greenwich, the Prime Minister said that the US, it was high time that the US cut their punitive tariffs on Scotch whisky. Since then, the industry has lost half a billion pounds in exports to the US, and the government has failed to reach a deal to have the 25% tariff on single malt removed. So will the Prime Minister commit to working urgently with BASE to comply with the WTO rules which led to the issue? And can he promise that in the budget, his government will take steps to support this vital industry and employer?
1: Well, Mr Speaker, I know that my right hon. Friend, the Chancellor, I don't want to anticipate the budget, Mr Speaker. I know that my right Friend, the Chancellor uh, habitually does things to support fantastic industries such as uh, Scotch whisky. Uh, but the, one of the reasons for leaving the EU, uh, Mr Speaker, is that uh, we will be able to do a free trade deal uh, with the US and to obviate uh, tariffs of the kind uh, that she describes, which would be uh, there in perpetuity if the Scottish Nationalist Party uh, were to get their way and to take Scotland uh, back into the EU. Mr Speaker.
3: Let's head to Kent with Damien Collins, Damien Collins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week, Kent's first COVID mass vaccination centre opened in Folkestone and is working now along with our three GP led hubs in Folkestone Hythe, and Lyd. As we accelerate the delivery of this protection against the virus, does my right honourable friend agree with the vaccines minister that we need greater sharing of data at local level so that we can target the resources of the largest vaccination programme in our history at both hard to reach groups of individuals and the most vulnerable communities.
1: The Honourable Friend makes a very important point and uh, I know that it's something that everybody uh, wants to see across this House, the sharing of data at local levels. And There are particular problems obviously uh, Mr Speaker with sharing medical records, detailed medical records with local uh, government but what we are doing is giving uh, public health uh, officials at local level all the information uh, we can give them uh, without breaching that confidentiality to find those hard to reach groups uh, and to get them, uh, encourage them to take back and, and uh, wonderful work is being done uh, to, to get people to take vaccines. I encourage all members uh, in, the, in, their, in your constituencies to get your constituents to take up this offer.
4: Mr Speaker, almost four years on from the Grenfell tragedy, government inaction on the cladding crisis means that hundreds of thousands of leaseholders, including my constituents, remain trapped in unsafe, unsellable blocks. Ministers have promised at least 15 times that leaseholders won't have to pay unfair costs. But as ever with this Government, there has been a lot of promises not matched by delivery. So will the Prime Minister finally act, end this injustice and come forward with a plan to fix the cladding crisis that does not burden leaseholders with the cost? Prime Minister.
1: Mr Speaker, of, of course uh, we will, and uh, we'll, I know that my royal friend, the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, will be bringing forward a plan uh, very shortly. But it is also important that uh, mortgage companies uh, do not unreasonably uh, refuse mortgages on, on properties, Mr Speaker, that are perfectly safe.
0: Let's enter to the Cotswolds with Sir Geoffrey Clifton-Brown. Sir Geoffrey
2: Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. This has been an extraordinarily difficult year for both the Prime Minister and the people of this country since the coronavirus was first detected. And their fortitude is being severely tested. And they really need to know when they can get their children back to school and businesses can start to be reopened. So will my right hon. Friend assure the House this morning that when he announces his comprehensive plan in mid-February, it will deal with how we lift every area out of their tears it will deal with the long-term problems that we're going to have to live with with Covid. And furthermore, we will try to avoid making changes in future at 24 hours notice so that at long last, the people of this country can start to plan their daily lives.
1: Uh, Mr Speaker, in uh, a few moments or later on this afternoon, I'll be uh, setting out uh, in more detail... Uh, what my uh, honourable friend, uh, my rival friend, would like to know about uh, about schools, our approach to schools. But then, in the course of the next few weeks, assuming the vaccine rollout uh, continues well, assuming that we don't find uh, new variants of, uh, of concern, we don't have to change our calculations. Uh, I will be setting out uh, a, a broader roadmap uh, for the way forward uh, for the whole country, Mrs. Speaker. Of a kind, I, I think that uh, my, right, my honourable friend and his constituents uh, would appreciate.
0: Let's head up to Liverpool with Peter Dowd. Peter Dowd.
2: They wore a war widow's pension for 67 years. My mother received one for 49 years. Two of my nephews are veterans and a veterans network operates in my constituency. I know they would agree that a pension should be paid at the UK rate wherever a veteran or any pensioner lives in the world. When will 96-year-old Anne Puckridge, a World War, World War II veteran who lives in Canada, and 60,000 other veterans who serve their country courageously and live abroad, stop being treated as second-class veterans and get the full pension they deserve? So will he commit to ending this injustice? Will he agree to meet with representatives of the unfrozen pensions campaign? Mr Speaker, as a start, that's the very least the British Prime Minister could do. For Britain's greatest generation.
1: Uh, Mr. Speaker, I'm, I'm grateful to the honourable gentleman for raising this issue and uh, this uh, this problem. I've I, I've come across it uh, before, but the the case he describes is obviously uh, uh, acute, and I, I will ensure that he gets the meeting uh, he desires with the relevant minister.
0: Let's head to Hastings with Sully Ann Hart. Sally Hart.
4: Thank you Mr Speaker. In my constituency, Chapman's of Rye is acting as an export hub for consignments of local fish going across the English Channel, but it's proving extremely challenging, expensive and time consuming. Mr Chapman is creating an opportunity to develop Rye as a vital hub export hub for Kent and Sussex fishermen, however he's burdened with red tape. What steps is my right honourable friend taking to support opportunities like those in Rye to make exporting
2: easier And would the Prime Minister accept an invitation to visit this fantastic enterprise?
1: Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, we are... uh, I'm grateful to her. For, for raising this, because this, this in the last few weeks this has been an issue for uh, many uh, fishing uh, businesses, many fishers, and, uh, and, and fishing communities, and, and there has been uh, too much red tape. And uh, what we're doing is providing an immediate 23 million pounds to help uh, businesses with problems that uh, they're encountering through no fault of their own, but we're also investing £100 million in a long-term uh, programme for the UK uh, fishing industry to, to help with equipment, to help with uh, processing, and enable this country to be in a position to take advantage of the incredible uh, access to uh, our fisheries that we will have uh, as the years go by. Let's head up to Scotland with Stephen Bonner. Stephen Bonner.
3: Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister now do the right thing? commit to making the £20 a week uplift to universal credit permanent, or will he be responsible for pushing thousands of Scottish families further into an income crisis?
1: Mr Speaker, I repeat what I've said before, we will continue to look after the people of this country uh, throughout this pandemic, and it's a feature of the strength of the the UK Treasury uh, that we can continue to do this. Christian Wakeford. Mr Speaker, um, I commend the Prime Minister in reaffirming his commitment to levelling up the nation and the best way to level up is through a good local education. The town of Radcliffe in my constituency has been without a high school since 2014 and as the bidding process for free schools remains in the final stages, will my right honourable friend the Prime Minister help by supporting my campaign alongside the people of Radcliffe, a new school that the town desperately needs? Thank Uh, Well, I thank my honourable friend, who is a fantastic campaigner, for uh, his constituents. Uh, And uh, I can tell him that uh, we are indeed uh, looking at uh, expanding the the free school uh, programme. Wave 14 of of free schools uh, will be announced very shortly, and uh, I hope uh, that he won't have too long to wait.
0: Returning to Merseyside with Bill Esterson. Bill Esterson.
3: Alison Powell's tax return showed that she was paid £10 more for her earnings as an employee than her earnings in self-employment. As a result, she didn't qualify and still doesn't qualify for any financial support. It's no good the Prime Minister saying that his government has done whatever it takes. As the IFS says just today, £1.8 million self-employed people, and 700,000 owner managers have not had financial support. So when is the government going to start supporting those who've been financially excluded so that Alison Powell and millions of people like her can afford to stay at home and play their part in restricting this virus while the vaccine is rolled out?
1: Well, Mr Speaker, I am conscious, as the honourable gentleman says, that uh, there have been difficult cases with self-employed people uh, who haven't uh, qualified for some of the, uh, the uh, support that we've, uh, we've offered. I'd invite him to send the details of Alison's case to, to us, and, and we'll see what we can do. But I must remind the House uh, that we've fed about £18 billion pounds, uh, supporting self-employed people, uh, Mr Speaker, throughout uh, this uh, pandemic. And uh, as I say, we will continue uh, to put our arms around the British people uh, for the duration of the crisis
0: to Peterborough with Paul Brister. Paul Brister.
2: Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. My constituents recognise the need for lockdown, but are increasingly concerned about their mental health. Many of them asked me to raise this today. On Monday, over 20 Peterborough schoolchildren told me how it was affecting them. They'd organised their own mental health summit with me and the local CCG. Does the Prime Minister agree that the country's mental health is suffering and should be a factor in deciding when to end specific restrictions.
1: Uh, Mr Speaker, I know the stress that that people are are under, and not just uh, school pupils, and he's right to to raise that, but uh, particularly NHS workers during this current wave of the pandemic. It has been really gruelling. Uh, the last uh, few weeks and, and months. And we are investing uh, hugely in, in mental health support. Uh, another th- uh, £13.3 billion in 2019. Uh, t- on top of the 2019-20, we'll see uh, a, f- a further £2.3 billion a year by 2023-2024. Uh, and that will support uh, 380,000 adults and 345,000 children, Mr Speaker. Final question from South
0: Wales from Carolyn Horace. Carolyn Harris.
4: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given that the Prime Minister has already said today he will take full responsibility for all the actions his government has taken during the pandemic, will he confirm that this will include the woeful and reckless management of the Covid outbreak at the DVLA government sites in my constituency? And will he also ensure that his Transport Secretary is held accountable for the inexcusable damage and devastation that this has caused?
1: I thank the Honourable Lady for raising the question with me, and uh, m- may I offer her, by the way, my condolences, Mr Speaker, on the death of her, of her father. Uh, I, c- I can tell her that uh, we have been working flat out on the problem at the DVLA, and all staff who can work uh, from home are doing so. Uh, measures have been taken to minimise the number of uh, people on the site at any, uh, at any one time, and more than 2,000 tests have been carried out by the DVLA in the last fortnight alone, Mr Speaker, with all the results uh, so far coming back negative.
0: I'm suspending the House for three minutes in- to enable the necessary arrangements for the next business. Order.